Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Contractor Evolution. This is Benji and Igor coming at you from the studio. Last time on the Wealth Builder series, Matt Wood came in and talked to us about value investing in relatively low-cost stocks that pay dividends, companies that cash flow just like yours. And this conversation really made a ton of sense to us. We can easily wrap our heads around our own businesses. We kind of just sell jobs for more than what it costs to produce them. We factor in some overhead, pay the tax man, and keep the rest. Conceptually, it's not that hard, and value investing works quite similarly. But trying to grow your wealth by blindly picking winning stocks can feel like a game of high-stakes roulette. Green arrow up, good, Red arrow down, bad. Now we all know there is way more to it than that, but when you're busy growing your company, staying on top of the latest market shifts, P to E ratios, trading volumes, and every other indicator out there can make your head spin. And frankly, for most of you, that's not the right thing to focus on anyway. So what we're gonna try to do in this episode is show you that there is a standard of excellence when it comes to the analysis of companies and how well they're run that real professionals hold before taking any investment positions. It's actually not roulette, it's careful selection based on real data and rigorous research. So to help demystify the world of growth investing, we're joined by Anthony Shilipati. He is the president and CEO of Veritas Investment Research, a CPA in both Canada and the US for the last 30 years. His team of 28 conduct and publish rigorous research and analysis on publicly traded companies to help investors understand which ones accurately represent what's going on inside of their companies and which ones are hiding behind a bunch of smoke and mirrors. Which is a super important point. This was an amazing conversation. Uh, here's why this episode rocked. We break down Anthony's methodology for analyzing companies so you know what good looks like and can figure out if your advisors are also finding the truth about the companies they're investing you into. He illustrates, and this is super important, how accounting is actually very gray and subjective and, and not as black and white as it seems. And there's a lot more to understanding a company and its potential value than seeing a few highlight numbers. How things look on paper is not always what they are in reality. As a bonus, Anthony also gives us some perspective on growth stocks and why some people invest in expensive companies that actually don't push out cash dividends. Your hard-earned money deserves to be invested into great companies, not just the latest trends. So let's dive in with Anthony Shilapati. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Anthony, welcome to Contractor Evolution. You are looking fantastic today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Igor. Benji, nice to be here. Really appreciate you carving out some time for us, Anthony. So i just start here. We're doing a, a series right now, and, and the last episode that we did uh, as, as a part of this evolving conversation was really centered around, uh, we dove into you know lower cost, dividend paying uh, companies as an asset class, as something to invest in. And I thought that that was an interesting conversation for this kind of contractor audience because they get this idea of something that cash flows. And I want to have a broad conversation here at the beginning about Making the case for a higher valuation, a higher price to earnings ratio company that that maybe doesn't pay dividends. So why don't you just start there? 
Sure. Well, I, I think you need to start by assessing where you are in your investment horizon and what your objectives are. Um, and that can depend on age, number of dependents, a number of other factors. And then once you've determined that, then you can start thinking about what type of investments you want to do. So the longer you have till you actually need the money, let's say retirement, let's use that as our key trigger point, then um, the more likely you are to invest in companies perhaps that have that are more speculative, where they will have their um, cash flows and, and earnings that uh, are expected sometime in the future. Whereas uh, if you tend to need the money sooner for either buy a house, children coming, RESPs, um, and your time horizon is shorter, then perhaps you want to invest in uh, companies where the cash flows and earnings are more certain and nearer term. And that would uh, help you, uh, I think, make, kind of frame the uh, the decision. That's really interesting. That makes a lot of sense, Anthony. So um, coming at it from like a contractor's perspective, I think we kind of mainly understand companies like ours where we do, there's a certain product or service where that's delivered and then the cash and, and then hopefully less cost than revenue. So the profit out of it comes relatively quickly, right? We might have jobs that are, you know, four hours long. We might have jobs that are four months long, but you're saying there's, there's essentially a set of companies that do such complex things that it takes it's like a multi-year horizon for something to be realized. Is that essentially what's going on? Yeah. And and I want to make this even simpler. You know, I'm, I'm quite excited as, as we had our preliminary discussions about uh, what we were going to talk about. And I um, looked through the, you know, your membership and, and, and what they do and quite impressed. But when you step back, all the people listening in here, whatever form of contracting that you're doing, um, and this is without any disrespect, I can go to YouTube and it'll teach me, it'll show me that if I want to change a faucet, if I want to put up drywall, if I want to tape the drywall, if I want to put bricks in, whatever, put put a, put a, a fence together, whatever, I can do that and it'll show me. Why do I need to hire you? Right. In fact, it's easy. So... The deal, the, the, the point though is, as you would expect in your, in your business being uh, that it's, you know, it's simple, they like, I'd like to say, but it's not easy. Um, you know, being able to put a, na a nail in a piece of wood is a very simple exercise, uh, but it's not easy to do. Um, so the same thing with investing. And you know this because you're running your own business. When you look at your own business, who actually understands what the revenues are, the costs are, and how they interrelate better than you? Mm -hmm, right. I'm going to fill you in. Nobody. 100%. So now when you're investing in a stock, whatever kind of stock that is, imagine how little information you're getting. First off, if you even have time, they'll present for you their financial statements. You can go through them. You can read them. But you're going to see one line item. It says revenue. If somebody asks you what your revenues are, how much does that tell you them about, tell the person that asks you about your actual business? Yeah. They ask you what your costs are, same thing. What does that tell them about what your real business metrics are? Well, the same thing's happening with a business. And so that's where we come in and it's digging through that detail to help and make a better, more informed decision. 
Totally. That is a really interesting point, right? The analogy would be like, you, you can sit down with another contractor, Benji, or a group of contractors, and and I don't know much about you, and I can say, hey, what's your revenue? What's your profitability? But that isn't even just those metrics don't give me that much information into how well run your contracting company is. Mm-hmm. And, and this could be the same with very large companies that people get excited about, like NVIDIA or Tesla or Shopify. Like, so to, to actually have an understanding of what's going on inside of there is 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 really really complex um so that makes a ton of sense i think i want to come back to just one specific question here and when you look at kind of a more expensive uh high pe ratio companies um what are people sort of buying if there's no current cash flow there's no track record of free cash flow um what is the idea that people are buying into when they're valuing them so high at such high price earnings ratio because oftentimes we're seeing like you know this company would have to make its current profit for like the next hundred years or maybe it's not even making any money so it would have to you know you you couldn't even assign a PE ratio what are people like why are they valuating it so high and why is everyone kind of bandwagon on some of these companies Look, the, the allure of the stock market is that you can make money quickly. Um, you can buy a stock in the morning at 9.30. You can sell it by 10.30 or 9.45. It could go up 10, 20%. It's very exciting, the, the excitement level. And you're constantly looking at the, the ticker, the price change. And that's always very attractive. Just think about your business. If your business was trading on the stock market and someone was able to value it, every second of every day between 9.30 and 4 p.m. And someone told you that at noon, your value of your company was up 10% and the next day it was down 20%. How, how loudly would you laugh at them? Nothing changed in your business. In fact, your employees were doing great. All your contracts were set. You were booked for the next six, 12 months, whatever the case might be. And yet someone in the market decided to move that price. So when you're buying a stock, in the stock market, um, and you're uh, not um, paying for the company doesn't have much earnings today, then you're basically saying, well, there's lots of expectations for how much growth and revenues and earnings there will be. And just like, you know, what is the most fascinating thing in life? Something that's unknown. So if I told you a story that says this company, they're developing the new way to communicate. They can um, do calculations faster than ever been humanly possible, creating ways that will disrupt every business on earth. And we expect that the revenues that this company will end up generating in the profits could be in the billions and trillions. Well, we don't know what they're going to be, but they're going to be big. And so you look at that and you listen, it's, it's alluring, it's mm-hmm. exciting. But whereas if I told you there was, and and so the closer you get, if you think about the excitement, excitement builds until when you actually see how much revenue and profits the company generates. And then once it comes out, you kind of go, oh, that's all. (laughs) And that's just like life. Before we know the truth, oftentimes, and, and, and we're humans, we're wired this way. We're wired to expect better than actual. Interesting. Okay. That is a, so, you're saying this is like a deeply rooted human psychological principle. 100%. And it works in reverse as well. So when things get bad in the stock market, the same thing happens. People will panic and sell into a panic 
And that's where you see yesterday Google's down 10%. Now, did Google's valuation drop by $180 billion in one day? Just step back. Imagine imagine it was your business and it fell by 10% in one day. But your employees you are laugh. doing the same thing. Everything's you normal. You would laugh at them. Yeah. You would laugh at them. 100%. Hmm. So, you know, it's it's there's so many facets to investing, not just um, – about, about, you know, valuing companies, understanding businesses and management structures and all that stuff. But then it's just the whole psychology of what's going on in the stock market. And I hope this resonates, this point about the unknown. If you think about the flip side to that, if we, if we invest in a company who has, a, you know, a history, let's call it a bank, okay? You know, like take, take Royal Bank, take TD Bank. Their history extends over 100 years. Um, they've been involved in the businesses that they've been, been involved in for decades. Their business growth is in the single digits. It's quite predictable for the most part. And that may not seem very exciting to you because, you know, it, you'll make uh, maybe 5%, 2%, 6% more next year than you did this year. But I ask you this when you're thinking about investing. Every day you have to build your business. You have to, you're not sure at the end of every month how well, how good that month is going to turn out. You don't know if this year's revenue is going to be as good as last year's. It's going to depend on you getting new contracts, you getting customers to pay, employees to deliver, et cetera. And so you're taking so much risk every day. Why not just have that money sitting somewhere where you don't have to worry about it? And one day you, you give 100 and one day you wake up and it's 150 and you did nothing. You carried on doing your own work. That's what investing should be like. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to take a small amount of money and put it on the side because you enjoy that adrenaline, which we all do, then take a small portion, put it on the side and gamble because that's basically what you're doing. Yeah, this is a really powerful point that that, that that Anthony outlined, and it makes a lot of sense. Like you, it, if you can realize, like as a savvy and smart entrepreneur becoming investor, um, to, to to realize this human psychological element that people get really excited about stuff that is unknown. Mm -hmm. um, think back to our, we're both engaged, but think back to our dating careers. You meet a nice girl at a bar. Mm -hmm. And then maybe uh, you're, you're exactly with her. the right analogy. There we go. And you, you chat with her on the phone, uh, you know, some Instagram, some Facebook. It, maybe a week goes by before you have a first date, but you get excited about that, that date in the intern. What's this going to be like? What's she like? What's her, you know what I mean? Like, like you get really excited. And then, and then sometimes it's, it's not quite as good as, as what you think it's going to be. Right. But it's this, this <laughs> element of the mind um, just kind of playing things up, I think is, is a very, very, real thing and it's kind of it's crazy anthony's talking about this is like to the tune of tens of millions hundreds of millions of people that are investing kind of kind yes. of wiling this up and down um and so i think you know what's fundamentally important though as an investor is to be able to separate uh like the hype if you will on the upside or the downside from the reality and the fundamentals of what are actually what is actually going on inside of a company so anthony my next question for you is a big one and, and it is what is like truly actually involved in analyzing 
deeply the financials and the operations um, of a company and being able to discern good from bad. This is a huge part of what you guys do at Veritas in this type of research. So give me like the high level. I know it's unbelievably complicated. You have, you know, so many letters beside your name. It's crazy and your team does, but give me like high level, like how do you guys go about a true analysis to be able to actually separate good from bad? So if you all the people on this uh, that are listening in, they have their own business, so they understand about accounting. And when they choose their accountant, their tax accountant or otherwise, you know, there's that saying that says, you know, what's the best accountant? Well, the one that when you ask them two plus two is they answer anything you want it to be. And so if you just amplify that, you think that's just happening in your small little contracting business. You don't think that's happening in billion dollar companies? Right. right. So it's happening in all, everywhere because the objectives, you know, the objectives for you to do a small thing, how much tax you'll save, how many, how many different ways you'll be able to attract investors or whatever you might be interested in doing. Just think about that, amplify that to getting employees to be excited, getting new investors to be excited, you know. And so when you think, when, when you pull that, that together, what do we do? Well, we go through and think about a company and we, what mostly happens is companies will present their results. They'll publish them on a, on a particular day and they'll have their announcement. They'll have a call. And the typical anal analysis that's done is they'll take the information, put it into a spreadsheet and run some type of, uh, you know, metrics to determine the, mar the margins, the, uh, the turnover ratios, all that sort of thing. Right. Well, what they miss is they don't stop and ask themselves, well, wait a minute, revenues were up by 5%. Why did mm -hmm. they sell more product? Did they change their product? Did they start a new product? Did they go into a new mar market? Is that 5% growth sustainable? Or did they do something like change their accounting? You know, if I ship goods and I decide that I want to recognize revenue, um, either at the point at which they leave my my uh, dock or the point at which they arrive at the customer. Now, that could only be a couple of days, but just imagine a couple of days on the quarter when much of the sales were booked at the end huh. of every month could make a huge difference. Now, you don't know that until you read the notes and you see, oh, by the way, we changed our accounting for whatever the case might be. And I could we could do a podcast that would go on for hours. I could tell you all the ways that a company could play with their numbers. Yeah. But, but the point is, we dig through those those questions to, at the root of it, separate what is business innovation from accounting innovation. And the reason for that, and I'll just finish here, the reason for that is business innovation is repeatable, it's sustainable, and it will lead to a multiple expansion. The earnings, the valuation of the company will expand because the business is doing well. Accounting innovation is just simply not sustainable. If okay. I book those, what I just gave you the example, pull forward those two days of sales, well, I got to pull forward four days of sales next quarter in order to keep it up or something else has to happen. There's... um. That is so interesting, and you just you just this is a real light bulb moment for me. My dad, my dad has had this saying forever, which is, "Figures can lie and liars can figure," and it's a comment about 
the great just because something is presented as a statistic or a dollar figure or whatever. I mean, if you take statistics 101, one of the things you learn is that you can you can actually shape things on a spreadsheet to to look a certain way. And the comment you're making, which I'd never clued into before, is just because this is posted publicly and it's formatted in a spreadsheet or you see it on Yahoo Finance, there's this entire story going on behind that that you have to sort of sleuth your way through. The word that comes to mind is forensics. You're like CSIing this business to figure out if what's being posted, is there a narrative there that really supports it? Or are we kind of fudging something a little bit to present better on the outside? Yep. You know, that's basically it. This th- this was also quite a big realization for me quite a number of years ago. So I have, um, I don't think I've told you this, Anthony, I have my, in university, I have an honors degree in accounting. And, and I remember over those five years or whatever it was, um, I, I coming into it, I thought accounting was like a pretty black and white thing. Like these are the rules. This is like IFRS reporting or whatever. And like, by the end of it, you realize it's actually a very gray thing. Right. And now like running, learning our company breakthrough Academy, like I can, we have a number of year end factors. I can manipulate so many numbers in the financial statements to swing revenue, like literally to the tunes of to the, to the tune of millions of dollars and, and present things a certain way that is going to be kind of more advantageous or less advantageous, depending on what I'm trying to do, whether it's like a tax efficacy perspective or to make the business appear a certain way. And Anthony's point is a really powerful one. Like if 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 we can do that on a, on a business, you know, in the ten in the ten tens of millions of dollars mark, like what is a multi billion dollar company doing? And and so for you as a relatively kind of elementary investor to kind of get excited about ideas and companies that are growing, but like really like you don't have an in depth understanding is is it is a bit silly. So and then it, um, when we spoke before. You told me around, like, you know, it's really important concepts around like accounting and disclosure risks, looking at cash flow sustainability, certain exposures on their balance sheet, um, corporate governance concerns. What are just give me like, like really high level, like outlines of what are the big things that you guys do a deep analysis on if, if, if you are truly trying to understand what is going on inside of an organization? Well, the fundamental um, side to, to what we do and, and understanding I'm separating the fundamental side, which is the analysis of the company itself, um, what it's doing in its operations versus how the market is perceiving how it's doing. Um, remember to that point that I made, um, you know, Alphabet or Google fell 10% yesterday, but nothing changed at Google. Like you still go to google.com. It'll still do everything that it did right. the day before. We're still paying our, so, our YouTube advertising. Yeah, yeah we're still, we're still dumping it. a lot of money so, into it every that, day. That, so. That's exactly the point. Yeah. And, and, and they're not changing their price and you're not paying any less and, right. and so forth. So um, now I just got distracted. We were thinking about Google. What, what, just run that by me again. I'm sorry. Yeah. So it was, it was just it was a question of like from a previous conversation. I kind of want to understand just just really high level. I know you know we could talk. You could you oh, you do teach university yeah, fundamental courses. side versus perception side. Yeah. High yeah, level. So we talked about the perception side, which is understanding how the company, how the market, stock market investors are perceiving the result, the results. And we're going to dig into what we do. We we have to also do that. But where we have to, where we, where our real strength is, is digging into those fundamentals. So we look at five things. The first thing is accounting and dis- and disclosure risks. So I, I already mentioned that to you, and I alluded to a simple one like like revenue, um, and and at the time, the moment that it's recognized. Let me give you another easy one that everyone on this podcast will will understand. If you buy um, a uh, nails 
Now you need nails for all your projects, but you got a big deal on nails this year and nails went on sale because there was some supplier that went bankrupt and whatever. So you bought like 10,000 nails. But what do you do with that? Do you expense them all this year? Or do you put them on your balance sheet? Because clearly you don't use 10,000 nails a, day, a year. Maybe you do. But let's assume that on the average year, a million you use 1,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you use 1,000 nails a year, okay? You just bought 10,000. So you bought essentially 10 years worth, mm. okay? Eight years worth because you're growing business, whatever. Should you just recognize 10% of the, that 10,000 10, nails worth this year? Or should you book all of it? Well, if you book all of it, you'll pay less tax because you'll expense it all this year. If I book only 10% of it, my earnings will look better. Magic, more people will think I'm doing better. Nothing really changed. So there's a, that's what we look for, things like that. That's the first thing. The second thing we look for is cash flow sustainability. Um, there's an old saying that says, you know, companies um, don't go bankrupt because of negative earnings. Companies go bankrupt because they run out of cash. Um, when you receive a dividend from a company, they have to pay it to you in cash. Um, they don't pay it to you out of EBITDA. They don't pay it to you out of gross margin or whatever other cock-eyed metric that they use to tell you that they're doing well. And so that's the point we look for and follow cash. And there's no defined metric for how free cash flow is calculated. So we make a number of adjustments to get to what cash flow number is particular to that company, it, that industry, in that state of its of its life cycle. So the second thing, cash flow. The third thing is um, balance sheet risk. So we look there, um, in, real simple, you have, there could be debts that the company has on its balance sheet, but we don't know. Does it also have other debts? Are there, I'm going to take it into the contracting business. How many jobs have you, has that contractor done that, you know what, they're not quite finished. They got paid, but they're still lagging some, maybe there's a, a you know, some, some obligation that they've entered. I don't have the contracts in front of me, but there'll be some contract that, that say that, hey, you know what, you're liable for the next six months, next tw 12 months for to maintain something in the event that, you know, that, that uh, fence that you put up uh, doesn't, 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 uh, you know, wobble or whatever the case might be. I don't know. So that's the, that's the third thing. Uh, and then on that, we're looking at debt and we're looking also at assets. Well, what they're valuing their assets. How are they valuing them? Um, are the, is that, is there any risk to the assumptions that they're making in that? Okay. The fourth thing is business operations and, and business operations is one where you just have to use a lot of common sense, um, where you think about, you know, uh, again, to a contract, a construction business, what are the risks? Well, the risks are that they don't deliver on time. The risks are that they can't get enough uh, employees to deliver whatever they said they'd deliver. The other th big risk that happens in contracting is uh, being able to guesstimate the, the costs. And those of you on this podcast, I'm sure have known and have seen that over the last three years, your costs have gone up through the roof. Totally. And I'm sure you guys are all cheering for the increase in minimum wage that's taken place. Um, how many of you factored that in when you were booking those jobs one and two years ago? Okay, so those factors all go into what I call business risk. Okay, then the last the last one is governance, and governance is is a word that's thrown around a lot. I, I like to say it this way: you know, you don't know if a company has good governance until something goes wrong. Right? Well, great governance. Look, every year they perf they perform well. They have no trouble. There's no lawsuits. Well, until there's a lawsuit. So, how do you evaluate someone's governance? You need to see how they make decisions. You need to see what controls they have in place for ensuring that those decisions work out right. 
So what checks and balances do they have? And then you need to look at historically um, how that management team has performed both at the company and at their previous jobs, because no very few management teams, you know, just started out of nothing. They have some experience. So what is their experience like? And um, typically, you know, zebras don't change their stripes, they say. And um We've seen, I've seen it over, you know, so much time, my career now uh, spanning around 25 years doing this, 30 years. Um, I, 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 you can see that, uh, that uh, some individual who was sketchy years ago ends up pretty, continuing to be pretty sketchy. Uh, hmm. So interesting. And Anthony, you guys have, I mean, you've got like quite a large team there. Like, like give me a rough approximation. If you guys are going to do a deep dive analysis of a company, let's say like Anthony, let's do like an A to Z analysis of whatever, Shopify, Bank of America, it doesn't matter. Like, like how many hours would go into an analysis like what you're talking about here? Well, I, you know, it varies. Um, but to do a proper a proper job uh, is probably going to take between four and uh, eight weeks. Four and eight take. weeks to to really analyze yeah. a company. If I'm if I'm if I'm starting from scratch, totally. I don't know a lot about this company, um, and I need to get up to speed. Now the other fact, you know, maybe it's a little bit less because no one, none of my analysts are only working on one job. Yeah. Um, but but roughly, I would say that's, uh, you know, it's going to take you, if I take four four weeks there, it's 160 hours, something like that. Something yeah. like 160 to 200 hours is probably uh, the right number. Yeah, 160 to 200 hours. Okay, so here's the really massive light bulb moment for me. People, I think, conceptually understand that when you buy a share, you, you're, you're buying a stock, you're, you're buying a share of a company. Mm -hmm. It's no different than like Benji, like you run a roofing company, I'm going to buy a share into your company. And we might sit down over a beer and I might say, hey, like, tell me about your company. How does it work? Your people are really good, right? Yeah, you've got really good financial controls, your accounting, solid, all this stuff. But yeah, let's go. Let's go. And people get excited about this, but then, but then they, they buy in markets, whether it's themselves or through advisors. Um, the, the, these shares of companies that are unbelievably complex, right? Like hundreds of millions in revenue, billions. Um, and there's so much going on. And I think that that people really need to be thinking about is like, how much do either I actually know about this company that are buying into or more realistically, I am paying an advisor, right? And it, it gets kind of lost in the mix because you don't pay them in cash at the end of every month. They kind of just take Comes it out, out of the, you know, and, and, and Matt Wood, who was on the show previously talked about this is like, you have to really understand like what you're paying your advisors. And, and my question is like to use is, are your advisors them, either themselves or through partnerships and, and whether they purchase it or how they do it? Like, like, do they have actual analyses, these kind of high level analyses um, on, on the companies that, that, that they're putting you into? Yeah. And a simple way to test is to just ask, can, can I see the analysis that, that helps that um, supports your advice to me to, to make that decision? And I think, frankly, you know, you shouldn't be overseeing every decision that your advisor does because he, you don't have time to do it and he doesn't ha you're going to get in the way. But when you're evaluating uh, an advisor that should work with you, it might be a good way that you get a sense for how they think. Because, you know, I, I did a podcast um, about what it takes to be successful doing this. And at the end of the day, it comes down to judgment. Mm -hmm. Because 
you know, you're, you're, you're having to make decisions quickly. You're having to make decisions with um, imprecise information to uh, estimate or to guesstimate what will happen into the future, which is completely an unknown. You know, somebody asked me on a, a, a once, if I could have anything, what would it be? I'd say tomorrow's newspaper. Mm-hmm. That, that's, if I could have that, it'd be like magic. I could make lots of money. Um, but the problem is we don't have that. Yeah. And so having good judgment that says, you know what, I, I can, yes, this, this, there's a potential that this investment could make me 100% return. But if there's a 100% return, everybody gets excited about that, but they don't look at the other side. What's the potential loss that I could have? And then you just weigh the two. Well, the loss is 50% and the chance of losing, well, 50% is 50%. Okay, so that's a 25% negative. And the chance of me making 100% is 50%. So that's 50%. So the net of that is I got 50% potential plus plus and 25% potential loss. So net, I got a 25% chance of making money, making right. 25%. Okay, well, that's pretty interesting. Maybe I should put a small position in that because... I can make some some reasonable amount of return, but it's all about weighing probabilities, and as a, as a, that's what that's what how um, you look at judgment. You know, when you have to price a job, how do you know who's better at that? That I know that you're better at estimating the job price versus your competitor. It just comes down to um, you know your expertise, your experience, and that's what's going to drive ultimately your profitability. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're doing these reports and you're doing this analysis and it's very robust, uh, you're going deep into the weeds. You're not just looking at the ticker price and doing an at-a-glance search on Yahoo or Apple stocks or whatever. You're you're really going in there. You went through these five categories that, and, and you did a really good job kind of coloring them in and giving examples. Here, here's my question, going back to this word judgment. You, Anthony, when you're looking at these reports, you're working with your team or you're in the middle of a, of a heavy lift trying to understand a, a company, what does good look like in those five categories? When you say accounting and disclosure <laughs> risk, you're like, hey, this is a green light or or, or you're, you're looking at business model or business operations. Hey, this is a green light. Like what kind of th- – how, how do you – come to make a decision. And I know you don't have a crystal ball and you use that term imperfect information. You're always going off of imperfect information. But when you're looking at something, can you, you know, along those five categories, kind of describe uh, good news in your eyes when you're doing this analysis? It's heavy. <laughs> so <laughs> what's good news? Um, you, uh, if we take each one. So in accounting and disclosure, it's where it's transparent. Um, when I have a question about how they've decided to account for something, there's the answer there and it's presented in a very clear fashion. The other thing is, and I'll give you a perfect example. So uh, not a perfect one, but a simple one. Um, everybody understands on the call depreciation or capital cost allowance or depreciation. You buy, um, you buy some type of asset, uh, machinery, for example, that has a life. So I can decide to, um, amortize that, depreciate it over some period of time. Now, the tax laws have very specific rules. The accounting laws don't. The, ta- the accounting rules, you know, they talk about two sets of books. Well, in, in public companies, there's two sets of books. There's the ones that they prepare for accounting purposes and the ones for tax purposes. And they can be the same or not. And there's nothing wrong with that. So just take, for example, a company A, it, it buys, uh, it's, it's a computer hardware equipment and it decides that that's going to have a life of five years. Mm. 
and company B decides that it's going to have a life of four years. All things being equal, both companies have the same revenue, same cost structure outside of this one item. Company B will have better results because they decided to amortize their machinery. Uh, sorry, company A, because they decided to kind of amortize it over five years versus four. Four will create a higher expense, lower earnings. You will think it's a worse company. Right. But is it a worse company? Well, when they produce their results, it looks worse. But actually, it could be that much better. So there's there's something that we do. We look at relative because because you know you know if someone's more transparent, more aggressive, or conservative is a relative term, right? Mm-hmm. I always like to say, well, Anthony, are you aggressive or conservative? I said it depends. I mean, some people might see this jacket that I'm wearing and think that it looks pretty aggressive. Um, I think it's pretty conservative. It's a blue color with with white stripe, white uh, checkers. I mean, that doesn't look very. That's not very uh, um, flamboyant, right? It's conservative. All right. Next point. Um, in, in if we take, for example, um, so the cash flow, um, what gonna what am I going to look for that's going to be better? Well, I'm going to see stable and growing cash flows. I'm also going to be seeing that if they if they do make investments, and I, you know you want companies to invest the money that they make as cash flow, well, that they're making investments and those are generating a positive uh, return, and so that is higher than their cost of capital. In other uh-huh. words, that they borrow money at five, they invested in something, more machinery, building equipment, whatever, and it makes more than five. Okay, well, that's pretty good. In the case of um, balance sheet risk, um, well, I'm going to be looking there that there's, uh, I can't see any unknown uh, liabilities that are sitting uh, left um, that, that are not being accounted for. And, and, and the assumptions that they use to value their assets is uh, on the more conservative side relative to peers. Um, in business operations, uh, I'm, I'm there. You know, it becomes a little more tricky there. There's yeah. little nuances. Mm-hmm. But there I'm going to be looking for a history of, uh, of, of good decisions uh, for, for uh, their business. Because you, can't, you can't go be in the building. It's not like you can go and, and sit, be a fly in the wall and sit in the boardroom and go and look over the shoulder of the guy in the cubicle or go see the, the, the manufacturing floor. You don't have the ability to do that in most cases. So I feel like on this business operation, uh, business operations ones – that's one where you really have to make a judgment call, isn't it? It is. But um, one of the things that we do is um, we will actually call competitors. We'll call past employees. We'll um, pose wow. as customers. Um, because that's how you really find out what's going on Interesting. at the company. Yeah. And now we don't have to do, you know, we cover about 100 securities. We don't need to do that on every one. You know, I would say there might be five or 10 where there's some sketchy stuff, suspicious, suspicions of sketchy things. That's where we'll do this sort of extra kind of, I, I call it more forensic due diligence where we're actually going on the ground and, and getting in their private investigator like. Um, <laughs> the undercover um, boss. You put a hat yeah, on and it. glasses and your mustache nice. and you go in and check we, it we, out. We, we, we've done it before. Wow. Um, and then and then the last one is... Uh, is corporate governance. And then what looks good there? Um, you know, I, I would put it most simply looking at how management's compensated. So are the, are their interests aligned with mine as an investor? So I'm giving my money essentially to the company to invest, to do something with it. Yeah. Are they being, are they, you know, to, are their goals for their organization aligned with the goals that I want for that organization? And if they're not, well then, you know, maybe this is not a company I want to invest in. 
Yeah. So interesting. Wow. So this is so interesting. So it's like going back to your like, hey, we're sitting in a bar and you're like, hey, buy some of my roofing company. It's so like if you're sitting there and you're telling me, um, hey, you know, like on the accounting front, I kind of fudge my numbers a little bit to look good month to month because it strokes my ego. And then you're telling me, you know, our sales are really up and down. We'll have like a banging month and then a really slow month and the cash flow, there's all these air bubbles in it and it's boom or it's bust month to month. And then you're telling me on the balance, you're like, you know what, we got a great brand and our customers love us, but we just bought a load of trucks that are sitting in the lot and we're paying <laughs> for them every month. And then you're telling me that, that uh, you know, my business model is pretty sound, but like we serve dying customers who are not painting their houses or roofing their houses again in the future. And then you go to the government's front and you're like, hey, I'm actually like super emotional. I make bad decisions and I'm a kind of a crappy leader in a crisis. It's like, I'm probably not buying your roofing company, right? But this is not how, it's so interesting because that's not, we don't, I think the average, I don't know if you call it a retail investor, the average lay person out there who's putting their money into the market, either through Wealthsimple or or maybe, maybe they have an advisor. Not only are they not doing this analysis, I don't even know that they know that those are the questions to ask in the first Completely place. Completely not. How, because, how would you? And, and 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 I think the reason is, you know, those listening to this are going, Anthony, I don't have time to do all that. Why am I going to do all that? I mean, by the time you did all that, I could have bought NVIDIA and it doubled in two days. I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know, that's a different type of investing. That's that's not really investing. That's that's speculating. You're just looking at lines on a chart and saying, look, it looks like it's going up and it's going to keep going up. I don't even there, – there are people that invest that don't even know what the company does for a living. They just draw lines on a, on a graph and decide what to buy and what not to buy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. However you decide and when you're, when you're interviewing someone that's going to be helping you manage your money at, ultimately, you want to understand how they make decisions. You want to understand their judgment. And so if they look at lines on a chart and that aligns with how you think about the world and it's consistent and it's been working and you know when it's going to work and when it's not going to work because every strategy has times that it works. This year, for example, has been a tough year for us because the markets run on really hot air. Interest rates are falling. Stocks are stocks have been levitating um, um, because money's just been piling into companies that uh, got really hit last year. And I think now we're starting to see that fall out. In the in the second in the last part of this year, as all these big cap high multiple stocks are really coming back down to earth, whereas last year um, those got crushed, and the companies that we would invest in, where they're generating cash, they have stable businesses, they actually did really well, and we were you know flat to up. Yeah, yeah, so interesting. On that note, like this. Um one of the things you said is like the, the, we we have to really delineate the difference between um, investment and speculate, like being a true calculated investor and a speculator. That's a really powerful point. And on that note, I want to ask you, like, if you had to lay out in you, you have a, such a wealth of knowledge in your career over the course of your career. What are like the two or three biggest mistakes that you've that you see people make where you know it's just, it's not consistent with success in the long haul. Like what would you kind of really advise every young investor as they look out to their future career to be aware of? They didn't start out with a strategy that says I'm investing because I need this money in 20 years mm -hmm. and I'm investing and, uh, I, um, and then I start making decisions that are either where there's no direction or um, I make decisions that are not in, they're incongruent with that 
strategy. And then you end up having to chase because, oh my gosh, I lost money on this. And if there's any gamblers on the, on the call, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You're down. Uh, and so now you got to, you know, it's, it's Saturday and so you got one last day in the week before you got to meet your bookie on the end of the week. <laughs> well, geez, you, you got to make some big plays on, on Sunday, uh, for NFL so that you can get your money back for all the money you lost in fo- hockey and everything else during the week. And so the same thing happens in investing. Um, and you just imagine all the stress that that puts you under. So I, I think it's about ha- it's about not worrying about day to day movements um, and focusing on whatever long term goal you have. I know they say you know oh just continuously invest and you know just buy the index. That, that's not going to work. Okay, Th- those sound nice in textbooks and it nice nice platitudes that people talk mm. about. But at the end of the day, you know we're entering a world where interest rates are different. Interest rates are much higher today than they've been in the last 30 years, essentially. And that changes the game because if a company has a good balance sheet and doesn't need capital, doesn't need capital, it will perform better than a company that needs capital today because the cost of that capital is significantly higher. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to see a wide divergence between the haves and have nots in companies. Mm -hmm. Whereas for the better part of the last 15 years, because interest rates have been so low, it doesn't matter if you didn't, if you needed capital because people were willing to invest in cannabis stocks, in uh, doge coins and and the like, because risk didn't matter. Yeah. More money is falling from the sky. Yeah. Correct. In fact, I was sitting at home getting money for nothing. And if I made up and pretended uh, to be somebody else, I could actually get two checks. <laughs> actually, prisoners got them too, you know? Yeah. Um, no, it's it's fascinating. Okay, so so th- 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 this is a good one. So you're saying like mistakes, huge mistake is not understanding your investment timelines and your broader plan of how long you're going to be running your company, um, how long you're going to be investing in for and at what point you're going to need to start to draw returns long term from from your investment strategy. Um, you talked about like, you know, just prior to this, you, you talked about this difference between just speculating on where stuff's going to go and being a true calculated investor and, um, and, and actually like understanding what Mm -hmm. you're, you're buying. Would you comment at all on the herd mentality and the psychology there? And, and is there a, I don't know, a word of context, uh, a a word of wisdom or, uh, additional context that you can provide because, you know, there's all these old adages and saying of, you know, you zig when they zag and when people are greedy, be fearful when, you know, people are fearful, be greedy. Like it's all sounds so, uh, there's another platitude. It all sounds so simple, but sometimes the herd is right. And sometimes the herd makes a bunch of money and lots of times they don't like sometimes they run off a cliff. Like is, wh- what have you learned about that herd mentality? How do you think about it in some of the judgment that, that you draw on the decisions you make? When you see a group running in one particular direction, the first thing you should ask is, why are they going there? What's over there that I need to get to? And if when you figure out where they're going and why they're going there, and it aligns with what you want for your investments and your life, then follow along. But if it doesn't, then there'll be another bus that goes by. There'll be another group of people running. Mm. um, And you know, you need to be very particular. You don't take every job that you're offered when you're doing your contracting, right? There's some jobs, there's some customers you want nothing to do with because you know there's going to be nothing but trouble. 
Yeah. Even though they could probably be potentially very, very uh, profitable. Yeah. But a smart contractor knows, you know what? It's starting out easy. This guy's going to be terrible getting money from. They're going to complain about every little thing. And I'm going to say, you know what? You find somebody else, buddy. <laughs> same thing. Same sort of thing happens in uh, in this in, in the investing business. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think the most difficult thing that we have as humans, you know, if if um, you made an investment and uh, you made a twenty five percent return, you feel great about yourself. It's fantastic. Until you find out that that guy that you know well and that you're working with or whatever a colleague, he actually made forty percent return. And all of a sudden, that 25 isn't good enough. And so now you start thinking, well, what can I do to make 40? Mm-hmm. And that's where it can get dangerous. You know what's really interesting throughout this whole conversation? There's this very, very consistent theme. And it all comes down to one word. And the word is why. Or like that, like you're like, why is very the word running this way? Why are the numbers posted this way? Why, like that is sort of this, it seems like a central theme or a central thought. And, you know, people write about this and start with why I feel like this is a well-known thing. But when it comes, I, di- I didn't sort of see how it fit into this conversation. And it's interesting. And I, I should have Googled this before. The, this, the firm's called Veritas, right? Yep. Veritas is Latin for truth. That's correct. Okay. So it's like, there it is. Why is why is this the way it is? And that's the whole pursuit that it seems like you're on. It's really And if you haven't noticed, Anthony's Italian. And Anthony's Italian. Yeah. Also that. Um, what, what, what is it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, Anthony, I've got a, a, a closing, very important question for you that is that is very much on the lines of what Benji's talking about in this why. I want to ask you, like, realistically speaking, okay, everyone listening is a busy, highly focused entrepreneur. They're running sales teams. They're running production. They're running office operations. There's a lot going on. Uh, there's no way that they're going to be able to do this level of research and analysis and ask those whys this effectively. Not really. This is why you have to have pros around. Now, the issue is, is that thousands of advisors out there um, all claim to be to be pros and really good at what they do. You said it's also not productive for you to be analyzing every move that they're advising you on and, and it's, it's, it's going to slow stuff down. But you could use a handful of examples of companies that they are putting you into to under, and, and asking them some of these questions to to at least understand their logic and their thought patterns and, and, and how deep of a why that they ask. So my question for you is this, if you put yourself in the shoes of, of the average Breakthrough Academy member, listener of Contractor Revolution, uh, who runs a focused, well-run, busy contracting company, and they're sitting with an advisor, a prospective advisor. What kind of things would you um, would you want? Would would you propose that they ask or they talk about with these advisors to understand how these advisors think and wh- and what depth of analysis and what depth of why they are putting into the investment choices they're making for you? I think, you know, it, it's funny. I, I you have actually identified. Uh, the um, the crux of everything we do is uh, constantly asking the question why, because nothing happens without a reason. And so I think when you're interviewing uh, someone who's going to potentially help you with your uh, money, um, but I would say if someone's going to be your lawyer or someone's going to be your accountant, when they give you an assertion of any kind, which is something that comes from their opinion or judgment, then you say, well, why? And just keep asking why. Mm-hmm. Oh, you think I should, I should, uh, you know, invest in this in this uh, stock? Why? Well, because of this. Well, why is that? 
and just continually ask why until it almost gets them frustrated. And if they do get frustrated, then you know they don't really know what they're doing. And if then there's your answer that they don't really know what they're doing. Even if you don't need to know what they're, you're doing, you don't need to know what they're doing because you're hiring them to do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> right? But it's the same like if you, someone asked you to put an offense and you have to put it in and, you, and, they, they, and then they ask you, say, so why do you put it here? Well, you put it here because it needs this much spacing from the property line and, you know, and so forth. Well, why do you, why does it need that? Well, because of the water runoff and, the, and then the type of ground. And then, well, why is that important? And you just, if someone asked you why and you were really knowledgeable about fence building, you would be able to answer every question that comes to you. And so by the end of it, I'd go, okay, that guy really knows what he's doing. I want him to put in my fence even if he's charging me more than the other guy, because that guy knows what he's doing. He's not yeah. going to screw up my fence and five years from now, it's going to fall down. Same thing from, from my investing. I keep asking why. They understand why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, look, performance is going to come and go. If you've got a 20-year horizon and one six-month period, one month, one year happens to not be a great year, it's like, well, that's going to happen. Totally. It's, it's more the is, way they go about they their decisions. Correct. Can they yeah. understand? Can you? Ex can they explain why the performance was such? Yeah. And that makes sense. And it's consistent with what they told you they were going to do and they're doing it. Okay. Yeah. This is so good. Yeah. This is so good. You don't need to be in every investment decision they're making for you. You don't need to have amazing returns every single year. But what you do need to know is, is how they think and why they make those decisions and the level of due diligence that they put in and uh, in, into these calls. And, and I think that today we got such a good overview from, from Anthony of, of what excellent looks like when, when it comes to research. So th th this, this is great. I would really urge you if you have an investment advisor to go and seek to understand whether they do things at this kind of level, yeah. this depth of thought. And if you don't, and you're interviewing prospective advisors, that you put this level of due diligence into, into you understanding how they operate. Um, but, uh, you know, needless to say, like this, I really don't think this is like a do-it-yourself. All my buddies are investing in whatever Shopify, NVIDIA, blah, blah, blah. And, and therefore I should too. It's, it, this is such a complex game. No. And, and I, I have a bunch of friends in, in this, you know, financial advising game and I ask them on chairlift rides or over a beer, this exact same question. And the answer, same with lawyers, same with accountants, same with dentists, same with your chiropractor, same with your barber. What, in any category is there's a whole bunch of average. There's some pretty terrible. They probably shouldn't even be there at all. And then there's this pretty tiny sliver of people who are competent, trustworthy, reliable, whatever. And that's seems to be the nature of life here on earth. And I think that this sort of asking the why question all the way down the path, understand the logic to the point that uh, you're satisfied with is just a really good way to cut through that and find the match that you're looking for. Yeah. Really good. Awesome. Anthony, just in closing, uh, really quick, uh, where if people want to just find out a bit more about like what you guys do and the depth to which you do. And I know most of your research gets sold commercially. Um, but regardless, like, tell us a bit of, if people just want to find out more about like what you guys do and how you guys do it for their own knowledge, where can they find you and Veritas? Yeah, for sure. We'll go to veritascorp.com. There you can find uh, and and uh, sub become a member so that you can uh, receive our news and insights and we'll keep you up to date on, on, on ideas we have of what's going on in the markets and so forth. You can subscribe to our research. We do have um, certain plans that, that are uh, available to uh, retail level uh, in investors. And we also have funds. Uh, we have three funds that we manage where we execute on the um, 
ideas that our analysts have. And uh, that's at veritasfunds.com. And we have three products, an income product, a uh, long short uh, called Absolute Return Fund. And then we have a, a long only Canadian um, fund uh, called the Veritas Canadian Equity Fund. And um, each of those is, uh, you know, unique because it derives from the in-depth analysis that we're doing on the research side. And, and lastly, um, I think it's all about training, you know, and that's one thing I was really impressed with uh, with your organization, um, Benji and, and Igor, because it's all about training people and uh, looking to make them better. And so we started the Veritas U Academy and uh, we've put together 10 different programs um, that uh, some that are available online. Not all of them are up yet online, but uh, that's a process that we're going through. Uh, but we do offer um, uh, programs and teaching about how to be a better investor. Because ultimately, uh, that's our overall mission. Um, we think that you can make better investment decisions with better information. Yeah. Very powerful stuff. Uh, very powerful stuff. I think, you know, you have to understand as an entrepreneur, like a part of what you're going to do long-term is run your business, but like very, very long-term, like a part of your career and some stuff you ought to have in your tool belt is understanding fundamentals of, of investing. Yeah. So this is really great. Veritas, V-E-R-I-T. A S. Yeah. Right. We'll, we'll link it all in the description. We'll, we'll yeah. I'll, I'll Google it and get it and put it in the description. Awesome. You can find it. Anthony, you really nailed it today, man. I really appreciate your time. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anthony. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. All the best. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. 